Me down, Russell. There you go. <laughs> All right. So the Christian idea today in the United States is that 66% of Americans believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. J Luke 21, brother. What did I say? Romans. I guess I looked at my Bible and I had opened it to Romans, <laughs> but actually Luke. Luke 21. <laughs> All right. You did what? In the bulletin? No, I don't think you did. Luke 21. 66% of Americans think Jesus is coming back. Most of them, of those 66%, believe that he's coming back in several hundred more years. I would venture to guess that 100% of you in this building think he's coming back. Amen. Would I be right? Okay. I want to ask you a question, you 100% that believe he's coming back. How did that belief affect your life last week? Okay. How did you believe that Jesus is coming back, how did that affect your life last week? All right. Let's get a little closer. How did that affect the time that you spent last week? That belief that Jesus is coming back. How did that affect your time spent? How did that affect you in resisting temptation to sin? How did that affect the way that you spent your money? you believing that Jesus is coming back? How did, did that play into the way you spent your money? How about, uh, how did it affect, um, well, I said that, your time spent, the temptation to sin, the way you spend your money. If you are not believing or thinking or considering His return every day of your life, then I would say this to you. You're missing one of the most powerful biblical motivators that we have. Okay? What motivates you to live the Christian life? What motivates you not to sin? What motivates you to spend your money in a godly way? If you're not allowing your belief of His return to affect your everyday living, then you're missing a very powerful motivator. Since He is returning, and we all agree with that, then we must live a certain way. And the Bible tells us to, lead, to live an alert life, a ready life, and a looking life. So let's find out where it says that. Luke 21. Let's stand together. Read verse 25 and following. Luke 21, verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and upon the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear 
men fainting from fear. Men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Is that happening right now? Amen. Verse 27. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable, verse 29, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. Even so you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard that your hearts may not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying in order that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Let's pray, Lord, help us to stand before you. Help us to be ready. Show us how, Father, this morning. Give us encouragement, Lord. In the time we need, in the time that we live, we need that encouragement, Father. I pray that you, uh, your judgments as they fall upon this nation, that we are aware of them and that we allow them to have their purpose in our own heart, that you would turn us back to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. The fact of his return is more reliable than heaven and earth themselves. Did you catch that? The fact of his return is more reliable than even heaven and earth itself. Look in verse 33. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. You see, either he's returning like he just said, or he's a liar. That, that's the only two options we have to pick from. He's either coming back like he said, or he is a liar. You know, Daniel prophesied of his return. Psalms prophesied of his return. Isaiah prophesied of his return. Jesus himself prophesied of his return to this world. The second coming is going to be completely in contrast to the first appearing of Jesus Christ. In his first appearing, he came humbly. We just sang a song about that, humbly coming to the earth. But in his second appearing, it says there in verse 27, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. He's not coming humbly the second time. Amen? He's coming with power and with great glory. The first time he rode on the colt of a donkey. The second time the Bible teaches us he will be riding a white war horse. 
Okay, the first time he came speaking peace with his mouth. The second time he comes, he's going to have a sharp sword coming out of his mouth to annihilate the wicked and to deal God's judgment upon the face of the earth. The first time Jesus came, he had eyes of compassion. The second time he comes, John tells us he had eyes of flaming fire. Amen. He's not coming humbly as he did the first time. He's coming with power and great glory. The first time Jesus came, it was the gentle Jesus. The second time he comes, he will be the judging Jesus. The first time we were told that his name was Emmanuel. The second time we are told that there's a name written on him, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is coming again. It is a fact that we need to prepare for and live in life in such a way that we are prepared for that return. His return is not speculation. It is fact. If you cannot trust that, then you cannot trust Jesus Christ. Amen? He's coming again. The second thing we can see here in verse 25, there will be signs of His coming catastrophic global threats and changes. Let's read that, verse 25. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and upon the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Man, if that doesn't describe us right now, I don't know what could. Any of you watch the Weather Channel? Anybody watch the Weather Channel? I watch the Weather Channel. You know what they were saying this year about the hurricane season? They were perplexed at the events taking place in our atmosphere and on our planet about our climate. Isn't that what Jesus just said? They are perplexed about the roaring of the sea and the waves. That word perplexed there means to be chained. It means to have no hope. It means to have no idea of an end to what is taking place. That's what the word perplexed means. Men fainting from fear. We're seeing that all over the place right now. The media has got this world so wound up about this COVID virus that men won't even come out of their homes today because they are in fear of this virus. But when you look at and read about the other side, which you won't see on the media on TV, but you'll read it in reports and magazines and on internet of scientists and people gathering together saying that this should never have been called a pandemic. From the time it began in October of last year until May of this year, 2020, there was a, about a thousand people a day dying of the COVID virus. From October of last year till May 2020 of this year, there were 2,000 people a day dying of the flu. From October of last year till May 2020 of this year, there were 3,000 people a day dying of tuberculosis. But we don't call the flu or tuberculosis a pandemic. But we are calling 
a virus that kills less people. We're calling that now a pandemic. The media has got the world in fear to come outside, to go anywhere, to do anything. Economies are failing. Businesses are going under because of a pandemic started by governments, media, whomever, wherever. I'm not downplaying the COVID virus. What I'm telling you is that things are not falling apart. They're falling into place. Men are fainting because of fear. What does that word fainting mean? It means to lose breath, heart problem, suffocate themselves. They are perplexed. They are changed. They are at a loss. They don't know what to do. You see, but during these events, the Lord tells us to be on guard, to be ready, to be looking. So what He's telling us is that the world will look like this, but the church will look something different. It won't be as that. It won't live in fear of that. It will not allow the things to take away our trust in our Redeemer and our Savior. The wars, the plagues, the catastrophes, all of these things happen. And they have happened in the past and they will happen in the future if He does not come soon. What we need to realize and live towards is not to live in that fear, but to be on guard that our hearts will not be overcome with that. Amen? That our hearts will not be distraught. That we can realize that death, which we all will experience, brings the completion of our salvation. What have we to fear? Amen? My death will bring the completion of my salvation and my faith will turn to sight. I'm not ready to go right now. I'm not going to go out and, and hug somebody that's got the COVID virus. But I'm not living in fear of it. Amen? I'm going to be on guard. I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to be aware. I'm going to be looking. I'm going to be praying as the Lord instructed us to do. He tells us there will be catastrophic events in our world right prior to His coming. Man, we are seeing that. They've happened before, but now they seem more regular, don't they? Now they seem more prominent, more powerful, more effective. Things aren't falling apart, people. Things are falling into place for the return of our Savior. Now He says there are some dangers that we need to look out for before His return. That happens in verse 34. He says, Be on guard that your hearts may not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Because, he says, it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. It seems strange to me that he's talking to his disciples and he has to warn them about drunkenness. But if you go back in the Bible to the Old Testament, remember good old godly Noah. When he got off that ark, what did he do? He got drunk. 
If good old godly Noah can fall prey to that temptation of drunkenness, it's not above any of us in this room. Amen? That sin is not above any of us in this room. But here's what Jesus says. Be on guard that your heart not be weighed down with that drunkenness. But rather look to the Lord and go to Him for your peace or your rest. If you are taking alcohol to calm your nerves, if you are taking drugs to give you some rest or some nerve calming, then you are missing... Let me rephrase that. You are in danger of committing the very sin that Jesus is talking about right here. If you drink a little so that it will calm your nerves, that's what He's talking about right there. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our nerve calming agent. Not drunkenness, not dissipation, not drugs. Jesus is. Beware and be on guard that you don't do that, He says. Because what happens is you come into a lull in your life and then one day you wake up and it's passed you by. Beware, He says. Be on guard so that that day does not come up and catch you like a trap because it will fall on all of those who are upon the face of all of the earth. God tells us to beware. Don't let alcohol and drugs calm you. Let the Lord Jesus calm you. He is your source of peace. He is the one who will help you with your worries. Didn't He say to cast our cares upon Him? Did He say not to gather close to Him? Did He say not to pray to Him and confide in Him and bring to Him your troubles? You won't find the answer in man-made things like alcohol and drugs. You won't find it there. You won't find what you're looking for there. You'll find more trouble. You'll find more problems there. But you bring those to the Lord and you find what you're looking for. Amen? Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I, he says, will give you rest. Amen. So let's do that. There are some things that we could be in danger of before His return if we're not watching, if we're not guarding our heart against that. So we know His return is certain. We know there will be signs. And we know there are dangers in letting life consume us prior to His coming. The fourth thing I want to share with you is to be ready. He says there in verse 36, let's read that together. He says, but keep on the alert at all times, praying in order that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So he tells us to be praying and to be alert. Look in verse 28. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up, and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. How can I lift up my head and straighten myself up and be on guard and be alert so that I might, as he said at the end, stand before the Son of Man? In order for me to stand before Him, I have to have lived a life that was standing with Him. Amen? 
I have to live a life that is standing beside Him. Amen. I have to be in accord with Him in order for me to stand before Him. And so I, I want to talk about that for just a minute. How do I live a life that I can stand before the Lord Jesus? Listen to me. You know it and I know it. The next four years of our country's government is going to be brutal on the church. Okay? They're already taking away our freedoms even under a Republican-type government. Our freedoms are diminishing. Now that it is all a democratic government, you're going to see your church religious freedoms eaten away at. Slowly but surely. I'm just telling you, it's coming. Be ready for it. Don't be surprised by it. Don't get angry about it. Don't retaliate about it. What am I supposed to do? The Lord told me what to do. He said, keep on the alert at all times, praying. Praying in order that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place. That word escape, what does that mean? It either means I'm going to escape going through them or I am going to escape from them. Okay? But understand that. They are going to eat away at your freedoms of religion. They're going to eat away at your moral values. Okay? That's what it's about. It's no longer about the working man and the uh, rich man. Now it is about the moral man and the immoral man. And you will see that coming out. I'm not speaking against the Democratic Party. I'm speaking against what they stand for. Amen? Do you see that? I want you to know this. I may get myself in a bind over that, but I don't care. I'm going to give God's message. And this is what He's saying. It's a moral issue today. It is no longer a rich and poor issue. A working man and a company man issue. It is a moral issue today. You're going to see abortion elevate in our country. Okay? You're going to see, I don't even want to call it abortion. You're going to see the slaughter of children elevate in our country today. Beware of it. Don't get angry about it to the point that you retaliate and become like that. Jesus says, be on guard at all times praying. Praying. I just read a book Russell gave me. It's called The Harbinger. And at the end of the book, a gentleman asked this prophet, what can America do? What can we do to turn towards God? And the prophet tells him, it's in the Bible, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people will humble themselves and pray. You see, prayer is our grandest and greatest tool. Not attacking, not retaliating, not doing any of that, but praying. The battle is the Lord's. Amen? It's not our battle. It is His battle. So, how do I stand before God and stand alongside God so that I can stand before God in a hostile world, in a hostile society, with a hostile government? I will call 
upon the Lord. My calling and your calling has not changed from the beginning. What was our calling? To bear witness of Jesus Christ. So how do I stand along with Jesus so that I can stand before Him at the end? I remember the calling put upon my life and your life to bear witness of Him. So how do I bear witness in a hostile world? Well, I can expect to be persecuted. I can expect to be ridiculed and mocked and made fun of and laughed at. And I can even expect to be attacked. But during that, I have to be and remain faithful. That's how I stand with God. What does the verse mean in the Bible where Jesus says, He who endures to the end will be saved. He who endures the persecution, he who endures the ridicule and the mocking and the attacks, he who endures to the end will stand before the Son of Man. Amen? That's what he's talking about. How do I do that, Lord? Well, he says one way is my behavior. My behavior is the foundation for my lips to speak. All right? You may not have ever thought of it like that, but I want you to today. I want you to see that your life lived, it speaks more than what you can say out of your mouth. The lost world is watching you, Christian. They're tempting you, they're pulling at you, they're fighting you and punching you. And all the while they're watching how you react. Your life and the behavior of your life is the foundation for you to be able to speak truth. To speak Jesus Christ. And that is what he's telling us today. My way of fulfilling my calling of bearing witness is to live it and to speak it. I must be zealous for good works even under the persecution the world will put on me. I cannot retaliate as the world would have me because then I become like the world. But I can pray and I can speak truth. And that's what God asks you to do in the days ahead of you, my friends. The Christian operating in a shady or questionable dealing. If you're trying to cover up your sin outside of this church in the practices that you have, let me beg you this morning, please don't tell anybody you're a Christian. If you're covering up your sin by shady actions and by doing sin and then coming to church on Sunday and sinning all week and covering that up, please don't tell anybody you're a Christian. Okay? For the sake of the church. But if you are a repenting, Praying man, then you need to be telling people you're a Christian. Live it. Speak it in front of them. This is what God would have us to do. That's the kind of a life that is a great witness. Peter said this, be ready to make a defense for the hope that is in you. Now he said you must do that with kindness and with compassion so you can't argue someone to the kingdom of God. Understand this. You can win the argument, but you can lose the person. God wants the person more than he wants you to win an argument. So don't argue someone into the kingdom of heaven. I've said this many times before. You don't need to defend God. 
You don't need to defend the Bible. You don't need to get in fisticuffs or, or an argument about it. Defending the Bible is like defending a lion. If somebody attacks your lion, you don't jump in the middle and try to stop it. What do you do? You open the cage and let the lion out. He'll defend himself. Amen? You don't need to defend the Bible. The Bible can defend itself. People try to divert from the guilt of their sin, don't they? What's the most popular question someone will ask you about God if you're trying to witness them is why do bad things happen to good people? If God's so real, why are all these children dying? What they're doing is trying to divert you from them facing their sin. Here's what I want you to do the next time that happens. When somebody asks you, why do bad things happen to good people? Or if God's so real and so loving, why are all these children dying? I want you to say this. Look them in the eye and say this. If I can answer that question for you, if I can fulfill your heart's desire with that question, will you commit your life to Jesus Christ right now? And 99% of them will say no. Because it's not about good things happening to bad people or bad things happening to good people or children dying in this world. That's not what it's about. It's about them and their sin. It's about them and loving their sin. Amen? That's what it's about. If you can say to that person, if I resolve your question right here, right now, will you commit your life to Jesus Christ? And they will say no, because it's not about them and Jesus Christ. It's about them diverting you from their sin and their guilt. Understand that. We are called to stand alone with Jesus in a hostile world. We are called to... Witness with a life and our lips. We are called to have all of this done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of this is motivated by my believing that Jesus is coming back. Amen. Amen? Amen. He's coming back. And the closer we get the things that we see happening in our world, we know that it is near. I keep telling you, church, don't I? Somebody's going to be alive when this happens. It might be us. It might be us. I don't think he's coming back hundreds of years from now. I don't see how he hasn't come back yet. That's where I'm at. I think it could happen at any moment. Are you ready for that moment? Have you weighed your life down with worry and dissipation or alcohol or drugs or sex or pornography? All the things that steer us away from the truth of who He is? If you have, today's the day that you stop. Today's the day you repent. Today's the day you turn to Him and start standing beside Him so that on that day you can stand before Him. Amen? Let's do that, church. There are signs taking place right now. Will you straighten up? Will you lift up your head? Will you stop living in fear? Your redemption 
is close. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing on your church today. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us see our future is grim as a religious, free church. But, Father, I know that you are greater than that and that you can overcome that. And, Lord, you've told us how this morning by praying and keeping our hearts alert, by not retaliating, by not defending, but simply by standing beside you, bearing witness of you in a world that is topsy-turvy. Lord, I pray for your grace to expand even in this place today, that you reassure us that you're in control. And Lord, we know that, we trust it. Help us to see it, Father. Let righteousness raise up again in our country. Lord, let our nation turn to you. You've given us the formula. It's when the church humbles itself and prays. It's not when we fight. It's not when we yell and get loud and get strong and mighty. It's when we pray. It's when we get right with you, Father. And I pray this morning that you would begin that process right here in Aaron Springs. That this group of people, we would get right with you. We would put aside all the gods that we've raised up in our lives. We would put aside the sin that entangles us and that we would look to you, Father, and we would cry out to you. And Lord, we do that today in Jesus' name. Amen. If you